This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they've faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking with Cecile Arzadian, the creative director at Anton Jewellery. Anton is one of Australia's leading high-end jewellers, built on a foundation of family values, exceptional customer service, and quality craftsmanship. In the episode, we'll discuss the importance of building a solid brand and how to create an experience that will ensure customers will come back every time. Let's jump in. Cecile, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, Sivan. Thanks very much for having me today. So you are the creative director at Anton. Tell us a little bit about your personal professional journey and how you got to become the creative director. It's been a really exciting and interesting journey for me, a journey which started as me being born into a family business, which meant that I was sort of surrounded by business-minded people all day, every day from a very young age. During my studies, I did a lot in the retail side of the business, in sales and marketing throughout that time. Probably some of my best years and my most proud years being at the forefront of the business and being very much involved in the brand and understanding the customers and the consumers and being in the stores was probably one of my biggest career highlights, I must admit. And of course, people was a big part of my success and my journey. And to this day, I'm very much involved in the culture and building up the people within our company as well. So that's sort of just to give you a little insight into what I do. Now I'm creative director. I had to take a bit of a back step from the facade and the front of sales and customers, which still to this day, I've got my toes and and fingers in just a little bit. I'm, I'm in and out of the stores sometimes once a week if I can. But now my main role resides as company creative director. Obviously, Anton is a family owned business. You are part of the family that's running it. And it's built a, such an amazing reputation in the jewellery industry. Can you give us a bit of that history? How did the company start and the yep. journey through the years to what it is today? My role has changed and evolved over the years so much. And that's with great thanks to my father, Anton, who actually founded the company. And along with my brother, to be honest with you, it started off as a very humble, very small retail facade business, which actually had a majority of manufacturing. So it was sort of a little store founded in Brandon Park, not actually under the Anton name. And what it was, it was actually a business which had a workshop, Sev, and it had an amazing ability to show customers that things could be made and created and crafted on site. And, you know, clients could see it. You know, I remember there was this big glass wall where the retail store was, and then customers could actually come in and look at the workshop and could see the craftsman working on their jewellery and creating pieces. So it actually started off as more of a customization and special order business with a small retail that was just selling ready jewellery. Dad would import jewellery from Italy. Always quality was at the forefront of his decision-making. It was all about craftsmanship and quality, which to this day, he's instilled in us very much so. And I think after that, my brother got heavily involved in the business. He didn't like to study. So he said, Dad, I, I want to be in the store with you and I want to sort of do more of the sales. Even though he did start on the bench and, and Dad, 
dad encouraged him that he needs to learn the A to Z. In order to sell, you need to know what you're making and how you're selling it and all that. It was a very traditional and old school, I guess, way of learning the business, you know, whereas in today's day and age, we often skip several steps before we get to where we are. So I think for him, it was important to show my brother that he had to learn how to manufacture. And then he got into that and he said, you know what, dad, I'm not really enjoying the manufacturing side of it. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And what do you think is going to make you happy? Dad was always about ensuring that whenever we worked, it didn't seem so much like work. He wanted us to ensure that we were having fun during the working process. He said, you know, I want you guys to enjoy work because I work for my children, he used to say back then. Anyway, so Sev said, look, dad, I'm not enjoying it. I want to do sales because I like the customers. So he said, I want to go buying and I want to buy more stuff and sell more stuff. And then back then it wasn't really a branded business. It was just under a different umbrella. It was more manufacturing and repairs and all that sort of stuff. So more of a service-based business and less of a sales-based business, should I say. So as that grew, Seb sort of started to be more customer front on and the customers loved us. They used to say, oh my God, we never knew something like this existed in Australia. You know, people were manufacturing in front of their eyes and creating these jewelry. And he said, dad, I want to do something a little bit more branded and I want to build something that is going to be more recognizable rather than something that has this manufacturing visibility. So we then opened up a second store, which was under a new umbrella, a new brand called Anton. And that was in the early 90s. And when we founded that business, it was a very much a European business model. It was something where the European business model back then was, you know, if you're a jewelry store, you sell high quality jewelry and watches and provide really good customer service and good value, and you're going to be doing okay. So it was a bit more of a, there wasn't a repair or manufacturing facility on site at that store. I remember the store was huge. It was like 130 squares. And back then a store of that size in Australia and just selling retail in terms of jewelry and watches category was a big deal. And it was like, people thought dad was crazy. How could you, you know, do something like this? It's a lot of expense, da, da, da. And, you know, he loved to take risks. So they did that. And that was at the Glen, which is where Anton originally was founded. And within a few very short months, the business shook, I guess, the local clientele and then also started to drive customers from afar. So within the first 12 months, I think we were ultimately surprised with how good we were at what we did. And I think dad was extremely proud and he said, we can make this better. We can make this stronger. And then he sort of started taking more risks, buying more, investing in more stock, understanding what the clients wanted, and then sort of building the business from there. So we had several other journeys along the way, which we could talk about for a long time, and I won't go into too much detail, but several stores and networks that we opened, including Melbourne CBD in Collins Street, including Southland, including Chadston, which is now our flagship store. And we've been there for over 22, 23 years, I think. So building sort of a business that leveraged through opening up new points of sale. But back then without a proper business model in, in place, it was more just to open up a retail store, have a nice brand that people trusted. The word got out there. So people trusted us and they knew us and they learned that we were of high quality and an honest and reputable place to shop. So therefore the reputation outgrew the network quick, like early on, which is why the network grew quite quickly. We then sort of realized that, of course, as every business has, we have, there's changes and that sort of thing. Fast forward another 20 or so years, we now got two points of sale, one at Chadston and one at Doncaster, and currently looking at potentially another three within the next five to 10 year plan. Amazing. 
I've been at the Chadstone flagship store. It's such an amazing store. And I remember when you built it, the little VIP room at the back, wouldn't call it so little, but the VIP room, it's just amazing. And you went from a family type of small little business to then you said the word branded. You became a branded yeah. business. I want to touch on that. Now, Anton is so well known as a brand in Australia. The color purple, the name, it is known to many. How did that branding journey happen? Sometimes when you've got something great, there's no need to change it. And to us, it seems a little bit, we're going on a new brand journey, actually, and we've been on one for the last couple of months, but the brand sort of began with white, purple, and gold. And the colors were really royalty. So dad always said, you know, the royal colors that I see, you know, the queens and the kings and the velvet cushions that they would place their crowns on would be purple. And, you know, no other brand is doing such a color. You know, everybody does gold and white and the packaging was a must. You know, back then he recognized that we had to have good packaging. He never once said to us, let's just go with basic packaging. And it has to be somewhat instilled from the brand during the early days, but you've just got to know that you have to take it to the next level in order to build a brand. So to this day, we're still on a brand journey, Seb. We've recently started a new brand journey, which is helping us to understand who we are today, which I think as any business, particularly retail, you can often get a little bit lost along the way. As you grow, you think you can be the same and remain at that same level. However, you do need to understand that things do change. And over time, Seb, you can't continue to be everything to everybody. Once you've acknowledged that in any business, regardless of what category you're in, once you've recognized who your customers are, what they want, what you would like them to be, and you recognize that you can't be everything to everyone, that's when you can truly succeed on sort of a brand level and understanding your brand values. Wow. And imagine how much money you would pay for someone to come up with the color purple today. During this new journey, are we going to see a new color or are we staying with purple? Do you know what? We're staying with purple. Well as done. much as some people, Sevi, have told us you need to change it up and you need to this and that. And I've said, you know what, guys, we can change it up as much as you like and we can add as many colorways as, as you guys like in terms of the lilacs and whatever. But I said, you know what? This purple is so iconic to our brand that you still need elements of it. You know, maybe not as much as time goes. We wouldn't build a new shop the way we would have five or 10 years ago where you'd have the purple carpets and the purple jewelry displays. As you change, Seb, you change without forgetting your foundation and some of your key brand values. Now, you are in the fashion industry to a degree and fashion changes so quickly. Being the creative director, how do you manage this at Anton? I did a little article recently on jewellery and how is no longer something that is somewhat traditional. In today's day and age, we forget that the traditional is amount of jewellery needs to be somewhat forgotten. It's beautiful in many ways from a passing down your beautiful jewellery and family heirloom perspective, but from the today and the new thing, we go out and we buy our own fashion. We create our own style. So therefore, I think it's key that the message that we send out to young women today and even men today Go out there and make your own choices. And as we follow the trends to see what's happening in the fashion and the jewelry industry, and I do that closely on a day-to-day basis following global trends, one of the things that we forget, we want to break that tradition that fine jewelry is not just for special occasions. It's actually for everyday wear as well. My biggest challenge has been to create pieces that are fashionable, but yet also timeless, which is very important in our industry, Sev, because of the value. 
Yeah, I guess you end up buying a commodity with gold and diamond and prices. Diamond. And given the fact that our market is, it's not an overly big market in terms of the way that people shop for jewellery. One of our biggest challenges that customers are investing in jewellery and investing in jewellery should be something that every age. I agree. Now, you can't have a well-known brand without executing an effective marketing strategy. What was the one thing that Anton did well in order to execute its marketing strategy in the last few years? During the ups and downs of business, marketing is the one area that's always looked at very closely. And it's always, I guess, the first place where you would shred a little bit of the budget off. It's the first place that businesses say we can cut back from. You know, it's the first place that businesses say we don't really, really, really need to do this, do we? What I think I I did, I had a very big part in that is probably spending a little bit too much money on marketing. Often, I guess, and that's one of the upsides, I guess, of having your own business is you can make those little decisions that can really be game changers. And I think even throughout COVID, even throughout the pandemic, we built our marketing strategy. We worked on ways where we saw the situations as opportunities. If we were spending X in print, we would say, okay, well, through the pandemic, we need to say, okay, we're going to take that to digital. We looked at ways of making those situations opportunities. That's exactly what we did. So I think the marketing strategy in any business, retail, particularly small or big, you've just got to remember that in order to not only hold strong brand values, you need to be at the forefront of your strategy in terms of marketing and not cut back on the cost because this is the first area that we look at cutting back expenses. So my biggest advice on having a marketing strategy is trying to stick by it and try not to add too much as well. I can often add a little bit too much at times, which can be very challenging for my team. Sticking by it, not be challenged by modifying it. Don't be scared that things change. You know, just because you set a a plan 12 months ago and that's what it needs to look like, it doesn't mean it needs to be set in stone. You need to be a little bit flexible. That's really good advice. I think being flexible during hard times, I'm sure that many businesses wanted to cut their marketing spend, but companies that were brave enough to continue to spend their money on the right places in the right formats did really well. Talking about formats and advertising, I want to talk about advertising because you've advertised on many platforms such as Qantas Magazine, being on the billboards on the Monash Freeway and done radio ads and so on. What are some of the advertising campaigns that you've run that have worked really well for Anton that you continue to run today? There's two ways to look at this and there's two types of marketing that I sort of see that I'd like to talk about just briefly today. The first thing is, are you marketing for brand visibility and branding, or are you marketing to build sales and to be direct to your customer? The first one is budget dependent. If you've got X amount of budget and you can spare a little bit of that towards your brand strategy, put it towards your brand strategy and build your brand based on brand recognition. It adds value, it adds credibility, and it adds trust. So those things give your customers that's, oh, remember, I saw that somewhere, you know, just as you said, prior to the pandemic, we used every avenue to marketing, whether we were in digital prior to the pandemic, we were in print prior to the pandemic, we were in billboards, as you said, prior to the pandemic, there was several radio, you know, the list goes on networking through charitable events and philanthropy, you know, I can't stress to you how important it is to try and recognize the two. 
and ensure that the return of investment is forecasted and planned for both. When you're marketing on a freeway, you can't necessarily measure the success of that ad. But if you're marketing on a digital platform, you can measure the success of that ad. So I think it's recognizing that one platform will be able to give you ROI and the other won't. That's really important. And then the second thing is having a clear brand direction. I've talked about this a little bit today, but the more you know about your customers and who they are and who you want them to be, not just who they are, who you want them to be, that's when you can have a clearer strategy on who you're marketing to and how you're going to market to them. So that's some of, one of the ways that we've been able to recognize that our customers are also the younger customers. We sort of say that we've got three tiers of customers. So the younger ones, you say, okay, well, they talk on a digital space. So what do you do in terms of that? They're generally first-time buyers introduced to the brand through a range of, whether it's wedding jewelry or gift jewelry, something buying for themselves, special occasion jewelry. They appreciate the high quality and the competitive pricing that's of our entry-level ranges, given the quality. They want to mark a special occasion in their life. You know, we've then got top tier VIP clientele, which are an older demographic who have been loyal customers for many years and they appreciate the finer things in life and buy our premium and more custom made high jewelry pieces to add to their collections. And then you've sort of got your tier two customers, which are your returning customers. And they're your customers that are fashion focused and have an expendable income, let's say, and they're looking to grow their collection of premium jewelry and they enjoy buying versatile pieces to fit into their life and into their fashion tastes. They're more trend savvy. You have to know who your customers are, Sev, and you really have to know why you're marketing and who you're marketing to. That's such good advice. I was going down the path of what's that one thing and not being a marketing person, you've answered that so well because at the end of the day, it's not about the platform. It's about making sure you get the right marketing message yeah. to the right audience that you're trying to sell to or to build a brand around. Not all people would understand that because you've got three different customers. Our brand is a little bit unique in that way. So if you've got more of an understanding and if you don't have three tiers of customers like we do, even better because you can then focus more on one area rather than having to have a strategy like ours, which has to focus on the new generation versus the old money in the old generation. So the best advice from that is if you do have a smaller customer base and you know who your customers are, focus on them and how you can drive their business to your store. Awesome. Now, I want to touch on digital a little bit. You mentioned Anton's been online quite a little bit. You use social media. The Instagram following numbers are out of this world. Tell us about the digital journey for Anton and what advice do you have around utilizing the digital platforms to build a retail business? Retail business and sales through digital can be, people think it's so easy today. Everybody says you can build a website and you can build a platform that sells anything really. That's the theory behind anything digital in today's day and age. I must admit, I had very big ambitions. Prior to the pandemic, we had already built our online shop. We had already built sort of a trustable website that people had a really nice and easy customer experience through. So we were lucky that we had seen that prior to the pandemic. I think what the pandemic did, Seb, it helped us to see that the website was more important than ever. So that's when we said, okay, well, our digital marketing strategy was good prior to the pandemic, but we were like, how are we going to make this 
bigger and better. We saw the situation as an opportunity. And I said, well, we're not going to sit there and put the brakes on our digital marketing strategy. We're actually going to fuel this and we're going to really go hard with what we're going to do. So I'm not an expert on digital marketing. I actually want to go into studying a course for digital marketing because I think it's the future of any business moving forward. So that's one of the best advice that I can give to any new startup or retail businesses to study a little bit of digital marketing. But I think if you've got a good agency on board, the the data tells you everything you need to know. Get a good agency on board, build an understanding with them as to why you need such a strong digital advertising strategy. Make sure they understand you and your business and what your budgets are and what your expectations are from that online platform. Work with them to ensure that you've got the right sales journey and the right customer experience, I think, which is something I thought prior to the pandemic that our customer experience was amazing. And I'm like, oh, we've got you know one of the best jewelry websites in the country. And they're like, yeah, you do in the country, but globally, you've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> and I said, all right. So there I went on another journey of, you know, researching all these competitors and other fashion brands and what they were doing and how we could make our customer journey better. One of the things, whether it be digital, print, whatever it might be, we often get so caught up in a lot of things, Seb, that we forget about what's important to the customer. We need to remember, even in the world of digital, where you're not customer fronting and you're not customer facing, try and make that platform and that customer service experience as if it would be while they're in store shopping with you. Wow. Brilliant advice. How do you do that at Anton? Oh. What's, is it the way that you box the, the All product? Of our packaging is, packaging is a must. Like packaging was amazing from day dot, you know, at yeah. Anton's. Imagine doing packaging and through an online. I'm like, how are we going to give these customers experience that we give if they're in store? If you're in store, you might get a bottle of champagne because it's your anniversary or your birthday. Online, that customer can't give you that level of conversation. So it was about finding the ways. Is it an anniversary gift? Is it a birthday gift? Would you like us to help you with writing the card for you? Can we wrap this in a particular way for you? Understanding what they were buying for. It's a very big deal to make a jewelry purchase online, Seb. In today's day and age, we were lucky in a form during the pandemic and even prior and and after is that jewelry you somewhat need to touch and feel and you want to trust that person you're buying from and you want to ensure that you're getting a good deal and you want to ensure that your value is there and all of these traditional methods of buying jewelry are so important today but we need to try and make that customer trust us online so making sure that they're shopping on a safe website making sure that there's all sorts guarantees if you don't like it we'll refund you it's no problem because you know what you haven't seen it it's not what you expected no problem let us help you make that better if you don't want a refund, how, what can we do to create that piece for you? Making sure that there was a white glove delivery service, delivering to them if they needed it today, depending on where they were, just all sorts of things that I would do in store. It's really trying to do the best that you can without conversing with that customer before you make the sale. I need you to come and give us a lecture on, on marketing to our staff and customer experience because it's just so many takeaways there. I want to switch it a little bit. So Over the last decade or so, we've seen many industries disrupted. Other companies entering the market, Uber, Airbnb, and even how Apple shaped the future of mobile phones. What's your opinion on disruption in the jewelry industry? What do you think retail jewelry will look like 30 years time? And what stuff are you working on behind the scenes at Anton to potentially be the disruptor? We've seen the disruptors disrupt, right? We certainly have not so much in jewellery alone, but just in general, as you touched on in tech and whatever. In jewellery, what we've seen as a disruptor is international brands coming into the Australian market. 
something to look at and say, what does the next 10 years look at in the jewelry market? And I think this is important for people to take away. You need to look at your competitors and you need to think, where am I going to be in in five years or 10 years? Look at who is there now and say, how can we ensure that we can get to that level by then or whenever your goal might be? So if I was to forecast what does the next 10 years look like in the industry, I'm going to say that there's going to be a very particular customer that is very brand savvy. Customers are very brand savvy today. So if you're not focusing on ensuring that you're adding value and trust and luxury to your brand, big or small, doesn't matter, big or small, it could be through packaging, it could be through customer experience in terms of face-to-face, it could be the website, any way at all. If you're not talking to that client in the form of the world of luxury, in our category, you're not going to be talking to them in 10 years. I can say that very loud and clear. It's it's changed across the over the last five to 10 years where small businesses have either stuck as one store networks with no online presence. There's no loyalty. There's no luxury. So I think in 10 years, if you want to be alive and if you want to be at the forefront in your game, look at who you aspire to be. Set yourself goals in order to be where you'd like to be in 10 years. But in terms of a trend and where the industry is going, I think we're going to see a lot of smaller businesses that aren't brand savvy drop off the radar and we're going to see new international players come into the market. Now, you've touched on customer experience. I want to say we're obviously your accountants and I do throw your name out there because you've built such a great brand. So we do leverage that a little bit here at Alexander Spencer. However, whenever I mention the Anton brand, You just get this love, like they are amazing. I bought this and the experience was great. And a lot of the time, because of my name is the same name as your brother, they'll get us mixed up here and there and I'll get phone calls. I love (laughs) Uh, it. But your store is so great. The VIP room, the lighting, the colors. But other than the physical store and other than the actual product that is the diamond, What does Anton do to give the customers the Anton experience? Emotion. I could answer before you even finished, emotion. It's all about emotion, Seb. So dad taught us that from a very young age. He said, this is not just transactional. He said, this is not over the counter selling a piece of jewelry. He said, you got to make sure your customer's sitting on the same side as you. Put them on a couch on the same side as you. Why is everything about being opposite? Why do you have to sit opposite during a consultation? Why shouldn't you be sitting on a couch with them? And I want them to trust me the way that they would be if they were a friend in my own home. I want to share a scotch with them. I want to have a coffee with them. All these things that added emotion. And money can't buy experiences. By far are two of the main emotional connections and brand drivers for our business. They would 100% be one of the key drivers is giving your customers something that money can't buy. Because you know what? At the end of the day, someone can go and buy anything they want from anyone they want. When you said experiences, it's funny because when you buy something of luxury, whether it's that first ever brand new car or you've never bought an expensive watch for a male or whatever it is, it actually is the experience that you're after, isn't it? It's the make that makes you feel good. I, I know the first time I bought my brand new car and they delivered it and I, I didn't even know I sat in there and I said, that button does that and that button does that. How good is it, sir? The feeling was amazing and, it's, and you feel proud of that achievement. I had buyer's remorse afterwards driving up. (laughs) (laughs) But the experience was amazing. And because you are in that jewelry, high end, people parting way with hard earned cash that they don't need to part with, but you do need to give them that emotion. And that is just unbelievable. And I think you can use that in, in any buying experience, whether you're buying your first home or the white goods for your home. 
adding that emotion can really add a lot of that element of customer experience that the client didn't think was going to come with it. So I think today, Seb, brand loyalty is something that doesn't exist anymore because customers have got the share of wallet is real. You're now competing for customers. Where should they spend their hard-earned money? You've got to try and ensure that when you're giving them that service, that you're not just saying this is a one transactional thing. We will see you again, not just because we want to see you again for another transaction. We'd love to invite you in for a coffee. Or why don't you bring your family in and we'll have high tea with you? Or you know, building relationships that go far beyond what you spent. It's something where you'll forget what you even spent because your customer service has to exceed the transaction. In business, we're so focused on budgets. We're so focused on making a sale then and there that you make it transactional and you say, okay, well, done with that customer, I'm on to the next. Done with that customer, I'm on to the next. Great sales are looking good, da, da, da. And then when a quiet time comes or a challenging time comes, I think you then have to realize, oh my God, I've got to go back to my old customers and I've got, you know, so then it's a bit too late because you've left it too long. So don't forget about after sales and customer service after the transactional period. What do you guys do for that? So I've bought a I know, wedding ring. Yep. It was two years ago. I'd love to know what you do. Do you give yep. them a present a year in? Your service oh, would be amazing. Yeah, what do you it do? It just depends you know, on the level and the tier, of course. It's also identifying a customer that has potential. A very important thing I can say is try and identify that customer. Retail is one of those magic things that you can identify a customer quickly by asking them a few simple questions about their lifestyle and their family and all that sort of thing. So identify the potential of a client, even if you haven't had a transaction or if you've had a small transaction, try and ask the right questions to understand their ability of their future business that you could bring. To answer your question, tracking customer loyalty is probably CRM. One of the hardest things in customer relations management is we're actually looking at the moment at implementing a new CRM program because we've exceeded and outgrown the one that we currently use. But try to have a system that works for your business. CRM is probably just as important as your POS. Yeah. So if you're building a, a retail business, we didn't have a CRM platform when we built our business. It was all manual. It was all, you know, oh, do you remember that customer? You know, save them in your phone, da-da-da, back in the day. You know, so try and really build a little diary or a black book of your clients through a CRM platform. And the more we know our customers, the better we can support them and the more they can support us. We could talk on forever and ever on all of these topics, but I just want to say thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I know the listeners will have many takeaways and learnings from this episode, and I wish you and the Anton family many, many years of success, Cecile. And thank you, Savan and the team. You guys are just amazing. We couldn't do business or life without you guys. Thank, thank you guys for everything. Thank you so much. Thanks, Savan. This is The Bottom Line a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.